All right. Good evening, church. Glad we are able to meet tonight to break bread. Um, when I say we break bread, meaning we share the word of God. Well, that's a Christian parlance. Uh, last week, we looked at the ascension of Christ uh, in lieu of its celebration last week, Thursday. So last week, Thursday commemorated the ascension of Christ. And I believed we looked at the ascension day and its significance to the believer. Um, I've Personally, I have started reading the book of Acts as my personal devotion. And all the events that occurred after Acts chapter 1, I can trace it to the ascension. It can be linked directly to Christ's ascent to the Father because if Christ hadn't ascended, the disciples will not have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what they really did. Amen. So that was it. Uh, we looked at three key points. We said a lot, but these are the three key points we should take home. The ascension means Jesus will come back again. We spoke about it. And the angel said, the, the same way in which you saw the Son of God ascended, is in the same like manner he will descend. So it talks about Christ's coming. Christ's coming is eminent. It's eminent. Christ will come again. So the ascension puts that exclamation point or exclamation mark on that. Amen. Uh, number two, the ascension exalted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He became the exalted Lord. Instead of just becoming the son of Mary, a good teacher, a good prophet, a miracle worker. And all those things were true. He was whilst he was on this earth, but now he's exalted as the Lord. You know, the Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of God. And I've, I have explained this in times past that when you see the word right hand of God, it doesn't literally mean he's sitting at the right hand of God. It's a euphemism that stands for he's in extreme power, authority, and majesty. And he also is an equal part of God's eternal government. Amen. So that's what the right, right hand of God means. I, I think we did a series on what is Jesus doing right now. And I did explain that. Amen. So the ascension exalted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that is so important. Is We have to embrace the humanity of Christ because he died for us. But we also have to embrace his divinity and his majestic power, which has set him Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Hence, the reason for the ascension. And the third thing we said is that the ascension meant the descent of the Holy Spirit on humanity. If Christ wouldn't have ascended, the Holy Spirit would have not descended. So we thank God for that. And by the way, Sunday, this 28th, commemorates Pentecost Sunday. So Ascension Day is 40 days after resurrection. Pentecost is 50 days after resurrection. So when Jesus told them to tarry or wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus ascended, they waited for a period of 10 days and then they experienced the outpour of the Holy Spirit, which has changed the church. It birthed the New Testament church. And, and that is what has made us stand out unique because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe over the past three weeks, even in our Sunday's sermon series, we've, we've spoken so much about the essence and 
and uh, the, the importance of the Holy Spirit. We've taken time to talk about his ministry, his ministry of conviction, his ministry of guidance, his ministry of glorifying. Amen. So this evening, we are going to continue our currencies by looking at the parable of the sower, the parable of the sower. And it is recorded in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 to 23. Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 20. And Luke chapter 8, verse 4 to 15. So today is lesson 5. We are now on lesson 5 of our parable. So today we are doing the parable of the sower. Amen. So I'm going to take a look at Mark's version. So like I said, when you normally see things like parables, Jesus' miracles, or Jesus' teachings, try and find out, does it appear in any of the other Gospels? Always do that. It, it helps you to, like I always say, you get a fuller picture. Amen. Because everybody is writing from their viewpoints. So what Mark may, what is writing from his viewpoints, might not necessarily correlate with John's viewpoint. So you have to get all the viewpoints and look at it, and then you're able to uh, put it in a very, uh, in, a, in a big picture, which will help your understanding of, of certain key events. Amen. All right, so Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 9. Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 9. And then we will jump straight to verses 13 to 20. Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 9, and then we'll jump from verses 13 to 20. Quite a lengthy passage, so please uh, uh, give me your rapt attention as I read. And again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. Three, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no roots, it withered away. Seven. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. Nine. And he said to them, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, let me jump to verse 13. Uh, the reason why we are not reading verses 10 to 12 is, I, I believe I've covered it quite a number of times. It talks to us about the purpose of parables. Why did Jesus decide to uh, speak in parables? And I think that is clearly answered there. Amen. Verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So uh, this parable is key to understanding every other parable in the Bible. Amen. All right. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, 
Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. They have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the curse of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit. Psalm 34, Psalm 60, Psalm 100. Amen. You know, these are agrarian terms. Today, we really don't use that much. When we say that 30-fold, for example, the farmer could maybe anticipate, okay, I believe that I will have maybe, if I'm planting corn, let's say maybe I'll have maybe 100. And then let's say he has about 130. That's a 30-fold. Yes, and so he prospected, oh, I'm going to have 100, then 30 over, that's 30-fold. Now, when it's not about 60, that's 60-fold. So, okay, about 100, that's 100-fold. So, the farmers had a way of calculating their crops like that. Amen. So, that's what 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold means. So, plus 30, plus 60, plus 100. Let's say I'm planting uh, yams. I, I believe that I might have, I'm prospecting 50 tubers of yam. And then I have 120. That's a 70-fold. Because I was prospecting 50 tubers of yam, but now I've had 70 in addition. So that's an agrarian term. We don't use that now. Now, in money, when we say that 100-fold, 100-fold might mean I invest $100 and then I get $200. That's a 100-fold return. That's a hundredfold return. If I invest $150 and I get $220, that's a 70-fold return. So sometimes they could they could also use it like that, but this agrarian culture, so strictly agrarian. Amen. So today's parable, like we just said, is the most important parable of all the parables. Jesus illustrated as truth on the kingdom of God. And mind you, every parable that we are learning talks to us about the kingdom of God. And we've, this, this, we've defined the kingdom of God as a way of life, kingdom of God is our culture. Amen. So that's what is called the granddaddy of all parables. And in Jesus' words in verse 13, he said, if you do not understand this parable, how will you understand all the parables? So our understanding of this parable is key to understanding. Oh, okay. 100, multiply by 100. That's that's correct. I mean, I mean when I'm saying it, I, I was thinking in my mind, I nah, that's wrong. So 100 is, 100 for this multiplication, not addition. Amen. Now, sometimes you say it and then your mind and what you, your speech are kind of fine. That's what really happened, but it's good. It's a, it's a hundredfold returns. Amen. It's multiplication, not addition. Amen.
So our understanding of this parable is key to understanding all the other parables. Amen. So what I am doing is I'm doing a chronological um, order of the parables. But in reality, if I was to start this series again, I'll probably take this as the first parable than doing it in chronological order because this parable is key to understanding every other parable in the Bible. Amen. So perhaps if I should make a do-over, if, if I'm afforded to have a do-over, start the whole series again, I'll start from Mark chapter 4 before maybe I'll move over to do a chronological order of the parables. Amen. So it starts with verse 1. And again, he began to teach. I don't know, but these words really jumped at me because it shows the passion which preoccupied Jesus' ministry whilst on earth. He loved teaching the word of God to people or multitudes or whoever his audience was. He just liked to teach. As believers, this um, speaks to me that we should take every opportunity that comes our way to make the word of God known, either by preaching or through teaching. Either way, we always have to make the word of God known. And you have to know who Jesus was dealing with. Jesus was dealing mostly with a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience, they did not really like teaching. The, when it comes to religion, when it comes to things pertaining to the faith, the Jewish people were very superstitious. They loved superstition. They loved signs. They loved wonders. They loved supernatural. Also, you know, the, the Jews interpret the supernatural as the spectacular. But supernatural things are not always spectacular. Not always. For example, a typical example, look at Elijah. When God wanted to speak to him, the Bible says that the earth, the wind, the fire, whatever happened, the Lord was not in any of them, but he was in a still small voice. Thank God that Elijah was able to switch off his Jewish tendencies and rely on the, the spirit to key in to know the voice of God. Otherwise, he would have missed it. The Jewish people were very superstitious. These are the people... You are, you are dealing with most of the time. But Jesus didn't give in to their desires. They were super, they love signs. And sometimes I don't also blame the Jewish because that was how they knew God. Their first instance of knowing God is, hey, this God, he can turn rod into snakes. You know, they didn't have the word. It was later when they were taken out of Egyptian captivity, now that the Lord, the Lord now decided to give them laws and scriptures by which now they could live by, but their first introduction to I am was science. So they were used to science. They were used to wonders. That is what thrilled them. The Romans were not really like that, or the Gentiles. They, they prefer to like knowledge, they like wisdom, philosophy, and all that. But what I'm trying to say is that Jesus was preoccupied with what God wants him to do rather than the expectation of his audience. Amen. And if we are going to be good ministers, we have to listen carefully. We have to be careful of the pressing needs of people. 
Otherwise, if we are also too preoccupied with the pressing needs of people, we will not be able to do what God our Father wants us to do. This is Jesus talking to a Jewish audience who are pre-exposed to signs and wonders. But that was not what he fed them on the play order. I'm like, look, despite your proclivities, I will have to feed you the word of God. That ministers to me. And even if you read from Mark chapters 1 to 4, you can count the number of times he was teaching, teaching, preaching in the synagogue, teaching in the synagogue. Jesus was preoccupied with teaching because that is the way he will be able to drill the message of the kingdom of God to them. You, You can't drill the message of the kingdom of God to people through signs and wonders. Jesus did miracles. Jesus casted out demons. Jesus did a lot of spectacular things, but you don't need the spectacular to drill the message of the kingdom of God. You will need to teach the people the word of God. So thank God for Jesus. So for me personally, this really speaks to me that if we want to be good ministers like Jesus, we should be preoccupied with what God wants us to do than the expectation of our audience. Let me show you a typical example. Go with me to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 39. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 39. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answer saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. You see? It was not out of place. That is the Average Jewish response when it comes to the word. They love science. And it's one of the reasons why Jesus could attract a crowd. Because like, wow, this man does science. But what separated Jesus from the Pharisees was the word, not the science, let's see. Because he had the words of life. Amen. Look at even the 5,000 people or 5,000 families, as it is said, once they begin to receive the real word of God, the Bible lets us know. I don't know what, what sign is that. Once they begin to receive the real word of God, the Bible lets us know that they just departed. They made a U-turn and they left Jesus. And that's them. So far as it's signs, like do a sign. And Jesus said, an evil and an adulterous generation seek after a sign. Jesus was very rough with these Pharisees. Amen. He said, an evil and an adulterous generation. He said, no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And what was the sign of the prophet Jonah? Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. That's the sign. And he said that no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. Likewise, the Son of Man shall be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, and he shall resurrect. That's the sign you receive. I'm not going to tickle your fancy or tickle your itching, uh, tickle your itching ears or scratch your itching ears by giving you what you want. Amen. So it's very important. So when we see people who have a burden of pressing needs, please, let's take that pressing need to God and let him prescribe his methods of dealing. 
this is what I learned from the story. Some, because God's methods can be conventional or unconventional. All that matters is just to be it. Amen. So I like how it says that, and again, he began to teach. These people, it's not like the Gentiles. Gentiles, they like knowledge. They will sit down, they will listen to you. They love that stuff. But when you are teaching people who have become very superstitious and are, are engulfed in science and wonders, it's, that's a tough crowd. That's a tough crowd. But, but Jesus overlooked their expectation and didn't give them what they want. He gave them what God wanted them to give, wanted him to give to them. That was more important. You just imagine when Moses turned the, the, made a bronze serpent, and the bronze serpent was able to heal people who were bitten by the snake. Do you know that when you read some chapters later, these people took this thing as a god? So that's how Jewish people were. Very superstitious. Amen. So for me, just those few words of verse 1, it teaches me a lot, especially as a minister. Amen. But now let's go to verses 3 to 9 because that's our emphasis for tonight. I could stay on just that small piece of verse 1 forever. Jesus was going to share a major and a fundamental truth on the kingdom of God using agrarian terms. He used the word sower, seeds, soils, which is, was common during the acclimates. Amen. So a sower had a bag of seeds and went a sowing. And, and whilst he was throwing his seeds... It went on four different kinds of fields, and we want to look at the fields. The first soil is by the wayside, and the Bible lets us know the birds of the air came and devoured it. So that's from verses 1 to 9. The second kind of soil is on stony ground, where it had no moisture. That's what the Luke's version say. That's why I say that when you are reading, try and read all the versions, so... Matthew's account, that's Matthew chapter 13. Mark's account, that's in Mark chapter 4. And Luke's account, that's in Luke chapter 8. When you read Luke chapter 8, it had no moisture. That's what it actually means. So it had no moisture. It had no depth. There are two things. Uh, so when the sun scorched it, the seed withered away because of no root. It just died. Amen. So the third soil, <clears throat> excuse me. It's among thorns, among thorns. So the seed yielded nothing as a result of the thorns' growth. So this seed had capacity to bear four fruits, but because of the growth of the thorns, the thorns choked the seed and it destroyed its fruit-bearing capacity of the seed. Amen. Then the fourth soil, excuse me, is on good ground, good ground. We realize that this good ground yielded a crop because it sprang up. It sprang up undivided. It sprang up because it had moisture. It sprang up because it wasn't necessarily by the wayside. And then it thereby increased and produced a 30, 60, and 100. Right? So now... I hope we all get the concept of a 30, 60, and 100. So, for example, let's say you are prospecting. I'm expecting 60 tubers of yam, and then you have 120. 
that's a 60 fold it's multiplication not addition amen so that was that was a good one so now some important rules to note when interpreting parables in the gospel so when i was i was doing this i was really thinking that sometimes when it comes to parables like when you've been in church for long and you know you've been exposed to preaching and all that you you hear one parable with different interpretations which is not really correct when it comes to parables we should all come to a consensus are you understanding me why do i say that because there are some important rules to note when we are interpreting parables especially in the Gospels. We, we shouldn't read our meanings into them. And there are some popular parables that you can hear that people have read different meanings into them. And it's wrong. We shouldn't read meanings into parables. That's not how to interpret a parable. Number two, we should always consider the immediate context of the parable. That helps. So why is this parable being said? You have to consider the context. Sometimes you will know the context by reading the preceding chapters or the chapters after, whichever. But know the immediate context. Because the immediate context will explain to us why Jesus would have used that parable. Amen. Number three, we should always stick with the theme of the parable. Now, your job is to find out what is the theme of the parable. For the theme of the parable will give hints to the meaning of the parable. And then number four, we should always stick with Jesus' interpretation as the final C. Always. So don't come and tell me you have a new revelation. Stick with what Jesus said. How Jesus interpreted the parable, that is what he meant. And that was what he meant to say. That should be the final C. So when you look at a parable, how did Jesus interpret the parable? How he interpreted the parable, that is what we take. Don't come and spend the parable with, quote-unquote, your new revelation. It's wrong. So when we, are, when we are interpreting parables in the Gospels, we always have to look at these rules. There's a scripture in the Bible. I think it's 2 Peter Second Peter chapter one, if I'm right, the Bible says that no scripture is with in private without private interpretation. You can't interpret the scriptures privately. That is without the help of the Holy Spirit, or in this case, without Jesus who has already interpreted it. Don't bring a private interpretation or bring a spin. Just take what Jesus said and then leave it like that. So these are very important rules. We shouldn't read our meanings into them. We shouldn't. But that's how we start developing erroneous teachings and so on and so forth. We should consider immediate context. Because I myself, I'm also a corporate. I have preached certain parables before. I realized that, wow, I didn't preach this quite. I read my meaning into this. And I ran with it and, you know. You know, and, and let me tell you something. The fact that people will clap for you, people will come and put money on the altar, doesn't mean you are preaching well. So let's try and get that also right. Amen. The, the one who is supposed to be impressed, pleased with the preaching of the word of God is God. See that you are a faithful steward, you handled the word of God well, 
in its integrity. That's God, not not people. God, if, if you if you go for the applause of people, you can easily be making a mistake. Amen. So we, we shouldn't we should consider immediate context. We should always stick with the theme of the parable, and we should always stick with Jesus's interpretation of the final say. Because for some reason, when it comes to this story, I'm like, man, I do remember I've he, I've had many different interpretations. Excuse me, and why is that so? Amen. So the interpretation of this parable can be found in verses 14 to 20. And when we read the interpretation of the parable, everything has representation except the sower. So Jesus did not give any representation to the sower, so he just leaves it like that. So the seed is the word of God. The soil represents different kinds of hearts. The bed represents Satan. The sun represents tribulation and persecution. And thorns represent cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. So now that we've been able to uh, unpack the meaning of all this, and how do we unpack the meaning? You just read the story. Jesus said it right there. So now let's factor all these meanings into the story and get what Jesus is trying to say to us tonight. Amen. So the first soil, wayside. So like I said, the, the, the four soils are talking about different kinds of hearts. So what Jesus is talking about is Sola went out to sow the, the, the seed. With the seed is the word of God. It's talking about the word being deposited into different kinds of hearts with different responses. Amen. So the first one, it represents the hearts of unbelievers. Why do I say that? Because the Bible lets us know that when the word drops by the wayside, the seed of God's word drops by the wayside, it drops into a heart. The Bible lets us know that the birds of the air come and devour it immediately. The birds of the air represent Satan. Amen. I once said something here that anything that beds normally doesn't have a good symbol. Dove has a good symbol, but not beds. Amen. So how? Because they lacked understanding. So if you read Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, this same story is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. So let's look at Matthew 13, 19. So that's the parable. That's the same parable there. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So when they don't gain understanding, they lose the word. And how do I know that these hearts represent the hearts of unbelievers? Let's look at the same parable in Luke chapter 8. The same parable. Verse 12. So we are looking, we say we are looking at Matthew, then we are looking at Luke's version now. 
Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and take away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be what saved. So the first heart is talking about the hearts of unbelievers. Amen. So the other people, when they receive the word, they lack understanding of the word. And the devil will not allow them to even receive the word because if they gain understanding of the word of God, they will believe it and they will be saved. So it's very important that when we have the opportunity to preach to people, let's preach to people in a way that they will understand the word. Understanding should be key. Understanding should be key. So sometimes ministers, we have also complicated the message for people not to understand. Because anything that somebody doesn't understand, he will not have the propensity to do it. And how does the devil steal the word? He will steal forgetfulness. Forgetfulness, distraction, and a whole lot. And then the word is gone. So that's what the devil will do. Once he sees that you don't have understanding of the word, he targets you. Because if you understand the word, like Luke A says, you will believe it, you'll be saved. So the first heart here is the wayside is talking about hearts of unbelievers. Amen. So anytime we have an opportunity to preach the word of God, let's preach it in a way that they can really understand it. So that we will not allow the devil an inroad to come into their lives to steal. Because once they believe and they are saved, they are out of the reach of the devil. They are out of the reach of the devil. But as far as they don't understand the word, as far as they are ignorant of it, it's going to go out. Amen. So whenever we have the opportunity to preach to people, let's make sure that they understand the word. That's why I say that when you, when you are preaching the gospel, it's a very simple message. It's not very complicated. Jesus loves you. He died for you. came to save you from your sins. It's not a time to argue. It's not a time to debate. The time to present the gospel in its purest, simple terms and then leave the convicting to the Holy Spirit to do. But when we go and when our messages are fluffy and too dressed up and too churchy with too much church language, they are not going to be saved because they will not understand it. And the devil will also grab the word because if they believe it and they are saved, that's it. Amen. So the first heart represents the hearts of unbelievers, the first soil, which is the wayside. The second soil is the stony ground. It represents the hearts of carnal Christians. And why do I say carnal? They are carnal in a sense because they have experienced stunted growth. And they are experiencing stunted growth due to lack of depth. You see, your, your height determines, your height is determined by your depth when it comes to spiritual things. I mean, naturally speaking, your height is not determined by your depth. But when we are talking about spiritual, spiritual things, you want to grow in the things of God. Your height is determined by how deep your roots are. We are, we are compared to a tree. 
The higher the tree, the deeper the roots of the tree. And that is similar to the growth of a Christian. So when you've been in the church for so long, you know, and you are not growing, you are kind of a Christian. You may have experienced stunted growth. And sometimes you have a majority of that in the church. And those people can be quite deceptive in appearance because they will love Bible study, they will write notes, they are excited at the word. They receive the word with gladness. But the Bible lets us know that when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, they stumble. The word stumble there means to be offended. They become offended. If you don't take care, if the offense is not resolved, they will end up leaving the faith. Charles Spurgeon. Once upon a time, when there was the black, you know, um, oh, is it the, the black malaria or something that came across England? It killed so many people. Charles Spurgeon preached a message. He said, this pandemic has not come um, to test us but it has rather come to reveal us. And in those same words, what we have experienced the past three years that we are still you know, experiencing ricochet effects, it didn't come to test us. It came to reveal what sort of people, what sort of Christians we are. Do we have deeper roots? We have deeper roots. Now, in the church, church attendance has declined. Is declined. Is declined. That's that's a that's an alarming statistic. Perhaps most of our members that we had were in the second category of soils, stony ground. You see, if persecution or tribulation doesn't come, we will think you are a Christian because you will be there. You'll be there. You'll be faithful, tithe payer, you give offerings, you will come to service. As far as tribulation or persecution hasn't come, you'll be there. Now, once it rises, then it reveals who you truly are. And persecution and tribulation arises just to reveal what sort of people they are. They have no depth. They are not deep. They are just plain. They are just plain. And people like that, they they know church words, church cliche, buzzwords, you know. They can say everything. Grace, mercy, forgive, you know. And they can say all these things, but they are not deep. They are not deep. They are not deep. Tribulation, persecution, they are gone. Forever. They become offended. A typical example is Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. Go and read it when you go home. It talks about when Jesus spoke about this parable, he just told them, let's go over to the other side. Because in Galilee, we're going to Gadara. And the Bible says, whilst they were going, there was a great storm, a great, great storm. And these disciples who had just received such powerful revelation, they panicked. They, they forgot. And they said, Jesus, don't you care that we will perish? 
You see, it, it tested them. They, 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 they fell in that. You know, when the tribulation or the persecution came, they became offended. They stumbled. I thank God for Jesus who is merciful. When we stumble, he will always pick us up. He will, not, he will not leave us there and condemn us. He will always pick us up. He will, he will always pick us up. And I believe that all of us, at several points in our Christian life, we may have stumbled one way or another. But the point is not to keep stumbling. Not to keep stumbling. At, at times to come, we have to grow out of it. And, and one of the ways we can grow out of it is to really develop a real relationship with the Lord. Not a platonic one. You know, don't don't deceive people. Because when you deceive people, tribulation and persecution will arise. And when will arise, it will just betray your growth. They were not deep. There were no depths. There were no depths. There were no depths. There were no, there were no deeper roots. So when it came, they were shaky. The sun, which I told you, represents tribulations and persecutions. When it came, they, they just gave up. They stumbled, they became offended. But that's the next group. And sometimes tribulation and persecution will not come because we are evil. It will come for the word's sake. When you read the Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41, the storms didn't beat against the boats. The storm came into the boats. Because storms normally like they really beat the boat. Storms came into the boats because the word Jesus in the beginning was the word, and the word was in the word was God. He was there. And they all forgot. So I we we let we pray to God that during our times of tribulation, hard times, may we not be offended, may we not stumble, may we not be betrayed by our lack of growth or our lack of depth in the Lord. So let's do everything to grow because during the times of tribulation, it is your depths, your depths in the things of God that will cause you to stand strong. Amen. So that's the second soil. The third soil is among thorns. Among thorns. And they represent the hearts of distracted Christians. Their love and allegiance towards other things affects the seed of God's word in their hearts. And I like Luke's version, Luke chapter 8, verse 14. The Bible says that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and, and the pleasures of this life, it's, it's, it chokes the, the seed and causes the fruits not to come to maturity. So you can give birth to some sort of fruit, but it's not ripe. It's not come to maturity. Sometimes, you know, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things, they are like thorns. They are like thorns. And sometimes they are like other gods. They, they compete with our affection and our zeal for the things of God. And if we are a Christian, we have to really search our hearts. Be very introspective. What is competing with your zeal, your devotion for the things of God? If you don't deal with it, it will grow. And when it grows, it will affect the seed capability of the word. It costs you not to be fruitful. It's a distracted Christian. A typical example of that can be found in Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 23. It talks about the rich young ruler. 
He said, teacher, a good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? And he said, how do I obtain eternal life? He said, all these comments I have kept since I was a young guy. I was saying, I have kept it. He said, everything shows he's a Christian. He said, I have kept the commandments. Very interesting. I said, if Jesus would have seen me, he wouldn't have said, I lack one thing. He would say, you lack 10,000 things if Jesus had sworn me. But Jesus looked at him and said, only one thing you lack. That means that he really kept the law. He was trying very hard, but he lacked one thing. Go and sell everything you have. Come follow me. That was it. He couldn't. He, he couldn't. He, he was very sad at that scene. And it led Jesus to say one of his popular sayings, how hard it is for people to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to enter through the eye of the needle than one who has riches or possessions. So let's commit our desires, you know, to the Lord. Our, our desires can serve as thorns and they can choke the word. And that, that is the heart of a distracted Christian. You love the Lord. You love the Lord. You love the Lord. But other things are competing with your zeal, your devotion, and your love towards the things of God. And if you don't learn how to put it on the altar and sacrifice it, you are not going to bear forth fruits. You are not going to bear forth fruits. Amen. The last soil is good ground. It represents the hearts of genuine Christians. The Bible says they accept and they bear fruit. Now, what does it mean by they accept? It means they believe the word, they obey the word. And they obey the word, they bear forth fruit in varying degrees. And what are fruits here? Fruit of the Spirit, Christ-like character. Fruits also could mean souls. When your light, when, when your life becomes the salt of the earth and the light of the world, you win souls as a result of that. And it could be many more. Amen. So in conclusion, Jesus gave this parable to explain the way to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. That's why it's, a, it's the most important parable of all the parables. Because this is how it starts. To gain entrance into the kingdom of God has to do with how you hear the word of God. And how you hear the word of God is talking about attitudes and posture. So you don't have the right attitude if you don't have the receptive posture towards the word of God which will give us an entrance into the kingdom of God, you will hear the word of God and it will not benefit you. Amen. And that's why when you read the scripture, this particular scripture, Jesus talks about take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear, how you hear it, because it's going to determine your placements or your entrance into the kingdom of God. Amen. All right, I'll stop here, done for now. If you have any questions or contributions, it's welcome. God bless you.
Do we have any questions? It's been a long time I had questions. So does it mean that we really understand it? Oh, please, all of you should respond. Emoji something, please respond. Doesn't mean we all understand it. I want to know. I'm also still processing. Okay. All right, so Alice, if we all understand it, then what did we learn tonight? Two people, because all of you say you understand. So what do you understand? What did you learn tonight? Okay, I have a question. So this, so this parable um, is supposed to help us understand all parables. So is that because of our heart. So if our heart isn't in, I don't know how to, the, the right type of heart, I don't know how else to say it. I think that's a bad way of saying it. But if our heart is in the right position, then we can't, won't be able to understand the other parables. Is that it? I'm trying to understand your question. Okay, why is this parable the key to understanding all the other parables? Because the entrance to the kingdom of God is the word of God. That is the key to which we gain access into the kingdom of God. And how you receive the word of God, the attitude and the posture will determine whether you will gain an entrance into the kingdom of God. That's why this parable is the most important part. That's why Jesus talks about you have to take heed. And that's why he also took his time to explain the reason why he spoke in parables. Because he also came to fulfill that prophecy of Isaiah. We talked about the gross dullness of the hearts and the ears of the people. So he could not really, um, you know, give them like the truth of God's word, which he had at that time, but he had to give it in parables because it was not going to be a blessing. And that's why he told his disciples, take heed how you hear, how you hear. Because these people are so disconnected and so far away, spiritually speaking, from me that even if I present the message to them, it's not going to bless them. Just have to give it in parables. So that you who understand the parables and who will get the message behind the parables after my ascent, now you go back and then give them that message. At that time, their hearts will probably be primed and ready. So Jesus, even he didn't even give up on the people because of their darkness. He still preached the message, but he just preached it to a select few. That's why he chose those select few. Like, this is why I'm preaching in parable. This is the meaning of it. But when I ascend, 
you will now have an assignment to go to Jerusalem, Judea, somewhere, and all the outermost parts of the earth. What I'm giving to you in parables. It's the kingdom of God. You give it back to the world. So this is important because if we don't have the right motive, no, the right attitude, I'm sorry. We don't have the right posture. If we don't take heed how we hear, how are we even going to gain entrance into the kingdom of God in the first place? That's why that's the most important parable. Right, that was my question. Yeah. That's it, I... Yeah, it's, yeah. Our, our our heart is the key yeah. to understanding, right? So that's what it is, right? Yeah. Thank you. All right. All right. Well, um, who, um, can someone sum up what they've tonight? Then we close. One person. It's two minutes past eight. We have to go. What did you learn tonight? I can try. I had a lot of distractions here, but I do let it try. <laughs> so um, you said that um, whenever we interpret the parables, we need to consider the cultural background when the parable is being told. Because if we take it out of the cultural background, we might give it um, an interpretation that is not in line with what um, Jesus Christ was trying to tell us. Um, you also said that this parable that we discussed was the most important parable amongst the ones that Jesus Christ shared and that um, we should and that uh, which once we're able to understand this parable we will be able to um, explain use that to explain the other parables as well Amen. All right. Thank you. Father, we pray that may we take your instruction of taking heed to the word of God serious, that the word will profit us. And Father, like good ground, may we accept the word by hearing it, believing it, and applying it. And may we see forth its fruits, fruits of conversion, fruits of repentance, fruits of a renewed mind, fruit of a Christ-like life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Thank you all for coming for tonight's Bible study. Enjoy the rest of your week. Amen. Good night.